Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Pachuto, and I'm very excited to have my good buddy, Mr. Miles Phillips, on the line with us again, episode number two. Miles, how you doing, buddy? Doing pretty well today. How about yourself, John? I can't complain. I've been uh, running around like a madman, but uh, it's been a very productive weekend so far. Um, why don't you go ahead and reintroduce yourself to the listeners? Hey, everybody. I'm uh, Miles Phillips. I'm a photographer and multidisciplinary artist from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, I've traveled to many countries around the world to create uh, fascinating landscape photographs of unique global locations. And uh, I like to skateboard and play guitar on my free time. It's crazy. We were just talking offline that uh, we're almost at the one year mark of our first episode, um, which I uh, have been trying to do with a bunch of my guests. I kind of do the catch up point of like a year later and, you know, how things are different life wise. And um, I I can speak for myself that it's been a very productive and crazy year. Um, But how has things changed for you in the last 12 months? Like how's life? Uh, Pretty drastically. I think last time we talked um, if it's been, uh, you said it's like very close day wise yeah. or are we on the exact day? Uh, May, uh, 15th, I believe was the first episode. Okay. Yeah. So May 15th, um, that was pretty shortly after I moved to Denver, um, to do architectural photography work. And since then it's just gotten busier and busier and busier. So, um, through that year, I've kind of been trying to find, a little bit of work-life balance Mm -hmm. um, and also traveling quite a bit on that uh, balance time as we so call it um, and just trying to continue what I've been doing and make new projects. Um, I kind of had a bit of a hiatus of publishing work um, so I'm trying to get in the rhythm of publishing more work both in the physical and digital space. Um, So yeah it's just been really exciting and Super fun, more importantly. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the digital space. I did notice overnight you had a, a little bit of a minting fest over on Foundation. Um, but I would love to get into how that digital journey has sort of unfolded for you. Um, I mean, it goes without saying that I think you've done a tremendous job just in the last year of building a really great community for yourself on Twitter. And um, you like are genuinely interested in seeing the people around you be successful and like bringing other people along on this journey with you. Um, and then from like an NFT perspective, like I'm just curious, kind of how like the entire journey has gone for you over the last 12 months. Thanks, man. And uh, I think that's a good question. It's a very new thing for me. So like, I didn't actually get a Twitter until November, and I didn't actually become active on it until late December, January, um, more so January. Um, I really just kind of poked around and did a lot of research online. Um, I, I'm very interested in long-term investments, so uh, the whole crypto space was kind of not my peak of interest and never really has been, mm-hmm. but I've always kind of poked at it because I like to put my eggs in a lot of different baskets. And like, I've, I've been invested in a few coins over the last year, um, and among those have been Solana, Ethereum, Bitcoin, um, Cardano, and... Um, Polygon. And so I kind of got to have an understanding of how they all worked and I didn't have absurd amounts of money invested in them or anything like that. But um, it allowed me to kind of understand how the whole uh, 
NFT photography scheme worked. And um, yeah, so I basically just poked around and researched. And eventually when I realized I had in real life friends that were active on Twitter and that that was the primary source of networking for this type of a digital marketplace, um, I just started posting my work on there, connecting with people. And um, yeah, it's been really great. So I haven't made a ton of sales yet, but the sales that I have had have allowed me to continue working and taking risks in the space, mm -hmm. um, investing in other projects as well as um, minting on uh, platforms like foundation where you have to pay them. Mm -hmm. um, but I still, f I feel it's worth it because like I said, I like to throw my eggs in a lot of baskets. Like I have long-term mutual funds and a retirement fund and those kind of things as well. Um, which I viewed as more important, but at such a pivotal age in technology and economics, I feel like it's, it's a good time to take risks. Right. And yeah. if certain things don't work out, hopefully others do. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's funny. You and I have had a lot of conversations about like growth on social media and you know, how our, uh, hashtags like all this dumb shit that doesn't really matter. And I've always felt like in any of my social media journeys that I was like always too late. Right. So whether it was too late on Facebook, too late on Instagram, et cetera, it sort of feels like we're at the point where we're kind of early on Twitter, which is crazy for a platform that's been in existence for, you know, 10, 12 years, whatever it is. Um, but it's, it's a nice time from a community building perspective because I've been able to sort of find this tribe that I'm sure you could speak to as well, but like people who are like still trying to do the same things, like make art, uh, create important work and just like grow as both a person and, uh, and a photographer and an artist. And I think it's in that perspective, an early time on a platform that's existed for a while. Um, and I'm super curious if you sort of feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was actually doing a little bit of just general internet research today of like technology and what's happening now. And it's interesting to see um, how Twitter has like kind of flown under this, under the radar, but in a really, really loud manner. Mm -hmm. Like it's always been loud. It's always been powerful, but people just didn't really talk about it. And now it's becoming the forefront of business communication yeah. and networking and advertising. And um, yeah, it's just really insane to see how much content and how much information can be spread through it. Um, and a lot of powerful educational tools as well. I think it's pretty interesting. And um, for, of course, becoming my favorite uh, social platform yeah. as well. well I, I, I'm guilty of it being my favorite for years. Like it's just like the place I've always used the most. And uh, the, the manner in which I use it now has changed a lot, right? Like I'm, I never used to share photos or any of my work on there, but now it's like my go-to place almost with that regard. And, and in a way it's like sort of nice that, that this, you know, platform that I've used for so long is, has changed a lot. Um, I'm curious what your feelings are on like the pressure to always be on. Um, cause Twitter is now sort of turned into this like 2020 clubhouse sort of, um, mechanism where if you're not posting all the time, if you're not in Twitter spaces a lot, it can sort of feel like you're missing out and or opportunities to like meet collectors or grow. Um, what do you, how do you sort of like balance that 
um, you know, that, that perilous sort of, uh, give and take of social media and like that, the pressures that inherently lie there? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think, um, it's difficult, right? Uh, because it's such a fascinating thing and there's so much going on all the time. Um, it's interesting that you asked that because the past two weeks for me have kind of been that, and I've, I've hopped in some spaces and I've shared my work a little bit, but I definitely haven't been straight to the ceiling. Like I, I was when I first got active and was for the first couple months. Um, and I'll get back to it, but it was not only nice to kind of take a break, but in real life, just like, it's been crazy. I've, I've been working insane amounts of hours and also trying to create artwork for myself and that kind of stuff. So it just didn't really take first priority and kind of made me realize that it was just one of many things. Um, but yeah, in that time I missed out on a couple opportunities for like PFP projects that I knew about and could have flipped for a ton of money and then invested in my friend's artwork with and minted more work, you know, give me an example. Alien, alien friends. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I missed on that too. It's, yeah, it's, it's super, crazy. It's super hard to sort of like you know these these PFP projects, the ones that don't have like true utility attached to them. Like I remember seeing one where if you own one of their PFPs, you get access to like free mental health services, which is like fucking incredible. Yeah. So like there th- there are some PFP projects that have a, a very high level of utility. Um, and then there's others where you're just like, well, you know, if you like it and you think it could be good, it's speculative, like sunnies and things like that. Like I've got a bunch of sunnies, but like, I think I just probably wasted a bunch of money. That's just not going to, there's no utility. They're not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> I think I disagree with that one. Like, um, the way that alien friends popped, um, and that I see a lot of projects pop is like, um, you were saying the meaning behind it. Um, and uh, something that Alien Friends and Sunny share is a similar quantity, mm-hmm. um, a similar starting floor, as well as a similar community. So they're both um, ran and created by uh, dual artists, business people, and photographers, mm-hmm. um, and keynote photographers. So as of now, when I'm like looking to invest in future projects like that that aren't photography-based, they have to have some sort of attachment to that community or they have to be unbelievably fired. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'm not just cool by anything unrelated, you know? Um, and I was surfing through some like PFP projects today too. And I was like, all right, I just don't really see the attachment to, you know, anything legitimate. I did see some cool ones too as well, but yeah, a like- lot of those become out of reach quickly. Oh, and yeah. That's why I think it's like surprising that the one of one market isn't, churning more because it's like why would you rather buy some like ape copy whatever for like five eth which right now would be like 20 grand um instead of like something for point one from somebody who's super talented that could actually become rare in real life as well um so i think you touched on something that's crucially important there um, because, and it's something that I struggle with. So I know, I'm not sure entirely how many NFTs you sold. I'm currently sitting on zero. Um, and it is like wonderful. Like it's, I feel like it's been a super high week for one of one photographers, right? Like there's been a ton of people making amazing sales this week. And that is so cool. Like I want my, my opinion on the matter is rising tide lifts all boats or seas or whatever that 
expression is, right? So like if Miles Phillips sells five fucking NFTs, like I know that's just creating more space for me to sell NFTs later. If any other NFT photographer is out there selling work, I know it's just inevitably increasing the amount of money that floods into the space, which I think is long-term uh, a net positive. But it is also at the same time sort of like, well, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my work? What's wrong with this, right? So it's like it now becomes another avenue for secondary doubt, secondary imposter syndrome. Um, how do you sort of uh, tailor your experience on a digital marketplace when you kind of sort of have to handle all of those pressures both to, you know, participate and make good work and then also have to have it be received, you know, by like the collector community and such? Uh, I think I, I just tell myself that we're still really new to it. And I don't mean nft photography is as new it's actually been around for a few years um and there's been some people that really really started it early on and like pioneered it and everybody was like what is this it's dumb sort of thing um from lack of understanding and other people that have you know been in the business sphere for a long time were kind of like no this is revolutionary we're gonna buy into it mm -hmm. um and so a lot of those people are like actually doing really well right now and I, I think it's surprising to sift through some of the people that we're following and see who has actually been doing that for a really long time. Like you said, you were on Twitter for a long time, but your project was very newly minted. So is mine. Um, some of these photographers have had um, tens or hundreds, um, even thousands of images on the blockchain for a long time now. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it has made me think about artwork in a different way. Like, um the stuff that i minted last night um is there there's select images from a larger book um and i might release some more on the blockchain in like a different sense but um i really want to push uh limited edition prints on that as well oh, like, nice. it's kind of made me realize that like this whole one of one sphere um it's valuable because it pushes the importance of scarcity, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're thinking about business, um, supply and demand, if you don't have the supply, the demand becomes higher and higher and higher. Um, and if there's only one of one image or one collection of said images, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's just very, like, we're very new to it, right? Yeah. So I, I think confidence-wise... Um, I try to think about it the same way that I think about my physical work and that I'm like, I just haven't met the right person. I haven't been in the right room and I haven't presented it in the right way. So I'm just oh. going to keep chipping away at that and talking to as many people as I can and trying to find inspiration and education on how to do that. Cause, um, there's so many people that have way more experience than yeah. you or I and, um, I think a part of that is just age too, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's an inherently like a, it speaks to sort of the person who you are in general. Like that's a glasses half full sort of mentality. And like, that's pretty much how I take every aspect of my life, right? Like if I haven't worked with XYZ band yet or XYZ modeling agency yet, it's just because I haven't been afforded that opportunity yet. And I think of it similarly in the digital spaces as well, because if you start looking at it as a questionable action, right? Like, so because of XYZ, I'm not doing ABC, then you start getting into that imposter syndrome and self-doubt uh, realm, which just can absolutely wreck your confidence and your ability to create art. Um, 
being that you have a full-time job as a working architectural photographer, um, how hard is it for you to sort of balance the creative output of, you know, work that you have to create for your job and then creative projects that you want to make for yourself? Um, I, I think it's just kind of, um, I try to find a fascination in both mm-hmm. and, that kind of helps the balance um, push. Like, I feel like if I wasn't doing architectural photography on a uh, professional level, then I would still be pursuing architectural photography. Do you know what I mean? Oh, because it's um, interesting. Like, I started in street photography, and architecture always played a pretty large aspect in um, what inspired my work. I really liked um, to capture these ambassadors of an environment, um, just important figures that I'd see around cities, um, navigating them as if they were meant to be there, you know, and kind of walking in and out of pools of light and harsh shadows and, um, really just trying to focus on like how they compositionally fit into the forms of the buildings and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, and it eventually led to landscape photography, but, um, now it's like, I don't really want to classify myself and I don't think any artist should have to, you know, I, yeah. I would rather just be able to create a stream of different types of work. And um, I've published a decent amount of landscape photographs at this point in the past couple of years in different manners and printed a lot and minted some and um I think that's always kind of going to be the core of the travel photography work, but I do really want to have my next body of work be a more back to the roots street photography on film sort of oriented. Cause that's how I started. And Love it. Um, I feel like I've become very out of touch of that and would really like to get back in, you know, out of touch because the primary medium that you've been working with has been digital lately. Is that what you mean when you say out of touch? Say that again. I said out of touch in that the primary medium that you've been working in lately has been digital. Um, that's for sure one part of it. That's for sure one part of it. Um, I really, really like film and like the tactile aspect of it. And then also the simplicity of um, the settings and things like that. And just kind of like knowing, you know, you're shooting on a certain film stock. You kind of have an idea of how like the colors or tones, um, depending on black and white or color and um, the bleed and that kind of thing um, is going to turn out. Whereas like digital, I, I never release raw images on digital. It's just not the same. I, I feel like it was meant to be edited and meant to be brought into one or more types of software. Whereas film is just one of those things where like you, you have the ability to really focus on the technical aspects of photography and manipulate the image in that sort of way mm-hmm. in camera. Yeah. Um, so I kind of missed that and I, I'm not abandoning digital, but um, I do really have a fascination. Like I'm, I'm at that point where I'm like, all right, I've been doing this a few years. Um, it's what I love most in life artistically. And 
Um, I'm already pretty far invested, so I might as well get a couple more cameras and just have a great time. You know, <laughs> I love that. Dude, <laughs> it's funny because like, uh, so like for instance, yesterday I was in the city. I had a bunch of models that I was shooting um, for this agency, and we did like a lot of environmental portraiture and like you know street photography, documentary photography style model shoots um, with these three guys. And you know, I shot it all digitally, right? Because it's like cost prohibitive to do that stuff uh, on film. But when I was done, you know, I walked around the city for like another hour or two and I did medium format street photography. And I was inspired to do this by a friend of the program, Lynette Blanche, who is an incredible street photographer in New York City. Um, she was just uh, on like the women of world women street photography photography I, i'll i'll add it I, i'll send it to you after the line i forget what it's called and the, she was in this gallery in new york city and like her work's incredible and she shoots nothing but medium format street photography on her hasselblad and when we were talking about it on our on the podcast i was like that's crazy like medium format number one very expensive number two it's so slow right and everything that's going on in the street photography world is like really quick and like you gotta like react really well and i've done now i think three or four sessions of uh, Hasselblad street photography, and it has completely changed my eye. It has completely changed the manner in which I go about creating these images. And I think I'm going to become such a better street photographer because of it, because instead of having 36 shots, I've got 12. And the pace in which I'm creating these images is so much slower, right? So I'm being so much more mindful of the surroundings, the, um, you know, everything that goes into making these pictures, um, which is why, like, I absolutely love that you're going to dive back into film photography, especially film street photography, because 98% of my favorite images that I've created for myself are on film. Yeah, I love what you said about I don't have 36 frames. I have 12. Yeah. Um, back to that scarcity thing. Um, it really just makes you think about it. Right. I love medium format though so much. Um, and every time I, so I have this local camera shop that I go to that has a pretty good stock of, um, film cameras, um, as well as digital stuff. But I always just go to look at their film cameras and then there's a separate place that I go to, to buy film and, uh, paper and whatnot. Um, but they have things circling in and out of there like crazy. Like it, it sells usually like the day it's put on the floor because oh, wow. um, they just have insane, insanely clean, rare models. Like they had a Leica CL that I looked at and I was like, it was my first time in there. It was a grand for that with a Sumacron C. And I was like, that's an insane deal. And I know it is, but like, I just don't really like to randomly spend a grand without expecting it. Cause I, I walked in there like to get my camera looked at, like I had something on my sensor that I couldn't get off my digital. Mm -hmm. And I saw it because I asked if they had it. I was like, I know it's a long shot, but do you have this? And they did. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm just not ready. <laughs> went in, <laughs> went in two days later and it was sold. Of course. Wow. Um, so I'm like, I'm checking in to see if models like that, like, um, come in more and they did have like a Zorky, um, like a thread mount, um, Soviet camera. And that was cool, but it's just like, uh, I've, I've been through enough cameras where I know which ones really hit, mm -hmm. but one that I keep seeing is the camera that I took to Nepal, but extremely, extremely higher, um, cleanliness. It's just so 
so perfect uh is the pentax six by seven. Oh, yeah. um and it's just like the most i love that camera so much and it has the 90 millimeter too which was what i used and i i don't know it's just so crazy i'm i'm not a super like knowledgeable knowledgeable person on this uh subject but i know when you put different focal lengths on different body sizes um it looks different and has a mutation and um there's like an equivalent that's a different focal length um from each size mm-hmm. um but the 90 is something that i never use digitally and i never use um, well it's a bit wider millimeter. so that 90 yeah. is probably closer to like i guess maybe 70 it's like a weird conversion exactly so it's a little yeah. bit yeah it's not as tight um, cause I shoot it's like a tight 50. Yeah. Like I shoot with the 80 mil on my Hasselblad and I think it's close to like a 50. It's like a 59 millimeter actual 35 yeah. millimeter equivalent. Um, yeah, but I think there, there's magic in those lenses. Like there is just, especially in that Pentax. I mean, I, I, I've, I've kidding. shot every fucking camera imaginable. And like, we've talked about, I've like had a serious gear acquisition problem. Like I've cycled, <laughs> I, <we> all? <laughs> I've owned everything. I've sold everything. I've bought every, It's bought everything new again. I'm finally in a place where like medium format, my box is checked like 35 million. I'm struggling now, man. Cause I'm, <laughs> I am still in the face. Like <laughs> you're talking to somebody who hasn't made it to the other side. Like I'm still out here <laughs> spending, spending, spending on it. So yeah, my thing is like, so like I know yeah. I no longer need to acquire to like fill a void. I just will like, I have one more camera that I want to own. It's the Leica MP. Like that's my dream 35 yeah. millimeter camera, but it's fucking <laughs> so cool. or something. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, five grand. So, like, for me to want to make that investment, like, I'll have to do... I'll have to, like, feel like it's worth it, right? And right now, there's no possible way that a 35-millimeter film camera is worth $5,000 in in my I feel like you will will get to the point, though, where a camera like that could make sense. Like, let's say, hypothetically, um, you just keep churning out fine artwork for years um and you become very niche to the point where you're only making film work both uh for fine artwork and commercial work oh my god and you have the the right clients it's a thing it's a thing that people do and um absolutely the dream but you just have to have that trust and repetitive successful work and traction from um some reliable clients that are willing to invest in that extra time and extra money um, to produce that quality of work. But when you get to that point and you're like only doing stills and you're only making film work and you're making more money than you need to, or you're in a safe spot, whatever, um, just get that one camera and sell literally everything else you have. <laughs> and yeah, I know some people that have done that. Usually it takes decades, but um, I was talking to some like old school photographers and they um, always say to just, get like one or two lenses and one body and ideally like one or two film stocks and just go at it. Yeah. I think that I'm like, I'm, I'm working my way there. Right. So like I've got my digital camera that I'll never have to get rid of. Right. I have an R five and that camera should service me for five years. Right. There's like no possible way that I can, unless I break it. Right. God forbid. Um, uh, that camera should do me fine for the next five years. It doesn't matter we've reached the maximum when it comes to digital photography that anything that gets better is, is incremental 
advantages to what I'm currently shooting with, right? So we're not going to... A 100 megapixel camera is not any better than what I'm shooting with, right? It's just for, like, if I was doing billboards or some shit, which I'm not. That's also a tough thing to to achieve, right? Like, we're now at the point where it's kind of deceiving because digital photography has grown extremely fast, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's a... It's something that didn't really start becoming mainstream until like between 2005 and 2010 really Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people that continued with film through there Mm -hmm. um and i was one of those people but then it got to the point where it was like you're getting these images that just are insanely high quality like i used to think 20 megapixels was insane and it honestly still is but like now, like the camera that I have, uh, the Lumix S1R does, I want to believe, 63. and That's crazy. Which is, dude, it's nuts. And I think the Sony a7R 3 does like 70. And um, it, it, who's to say what's next? But I think we're kind of at a point where we're hitting somewhat of a cap. Yeah. You know, because like the, point the past of couple of years, talking, yeah. it was like 40, 50 then 60 and then sony came out with this insane 70 thing but it's like the 80 90 100 it's like yeah it's better but like we're also at that point where it's like okay like if i were to print an image out on this camera um iso 100 and clean you know it's just like i could probably blow it up to almost any size i want absolutely Plus, printing technology is also getting better now, too. So it's like you don't need to shoot on a (laughs) 100-megapixel thing to make a billboard anymore because the billboards are mostly digital, right? So they're getting digital files now. So it's like crazy. But it is funny yeah, because like when I when I when I first started in my photography journey, like I was all about I needed all of the best shit or like whatever everyone else was shooting. So I got an M6 and like I I had a Mamiya and like I had all these like cameras that everyone had. Well, I had the Mamiya Six, then I got the Mamiya Seven, and I was like, ah, you know, these. I, I think what the 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 best thing about my my photography journey has been from a gear perspective is like finding comfort in what you shoot with and it can be whatever the fuck you want. It doesn't have to be something because someone else is shooting X, Y, Z. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. When you, uh, when you go about making work for yourself, cause you had mentioned you, you've sort of spent the last like year or so or a couple of years doing a lot of primarily landscape work. Um, and now you want to sort of take a step back into the, the film street photography realm. Are there like people on the internet or photographers that like have inspired you to sort of like pick that mantle back up again? Like, how does that, <clears throat> excuse me, how does that work from like a creative process for you? Um, I've always been inspired by people that just love to live life. So um, a lot of my biggest inspirations are travelers that I've met abroad in real life. Um, not necessarily photographers, but people that are just going to see really cool places and, um, people that love to just get immersed in different cultures and different environments and, um, take risks in that sort of way. Um, so when I started to study photography, both in school and independently, um, and learning the more technical aspects of things, um, that was when I started getting, uh, very inspired by, not only some photographers on the internet, um, but also like reading some experimental photography books. Um, there's this guy, Matthew Brandt. He makes these like pretty interesting, uh, 
lake water soaked sea prints. So he Whoa. takes photos of lakes um, on large format color film and then soaks the sea print in the lake water from that lake. Whoa. Um, and it just kind of creates these really interesting experimental um, color bleeds. And it, it's just like been very inspiring to see a lot of work become way more advanced than that since then as well like that's kind of one of those photographers i named because he was one of the first to do something like that Mm -hmm. but what i see online now um just like on a daily basis being shared um just like the ability to manipulate color and do double exposures and to manipulate textures and tones it's become so advanced in the digital space so when I start shooting film again, something that I'm not really sure about, and I honestly don't think I'm going to choose, I'm probably going to do both, um, is like, is my primary time going to be in the darkroom or am I going to be editing these files primarily digitally um, because they're all going to end up on the internet anyways, you know, like, I'm not sure, man. Um, A lot of things to think about. I've had a lot of fun experimenting with double exposures lately. Um, I've failed miserably. So the Hasselblad is actually a pretty easy camera to make double exposures with. Um, a lot of the ones that I did on a couple of my recent shoots came out really shitty. So like the ones that I've shared have have been primarily in camera digital, um, uh, double exposures. I just think they're really like expressive and creative way to like create an image and it's like those sort of things from a differentiating yourself from the pack sort of thing that I like about experimenting like with fucking lake water which is so bizarrely cool and like who would have ever thought to do something like that yeah absolutely um it's a really interesting way to think about composition as well right like yeah especially if you're doing it in camera I can do um multiple exposures I'm not exactly sure what the cap is I'll check but um, I can do multiple exposures on my digital camera as well. Um, and I have yet to really, really experiment with it. But um, I've seen some work online where people are showing, you know, like, here's how to be successful with it and here's not to. And it's actually kind of interesting um, to see that perspective because, you know, if you're putting something very compositionally loud and textural over something that's also very loud and textural it's going to become very muddy Mm -hmm. but if you're being very minimal with each image and being very intentional about where each figure or subject is being framed in the composition then it can be a lot more conceptual and a lot more story-like yeah Um, i just think you have to be really sparing right and really really careful about how much you put into it but i agree yeah that's they're, that's they're, a really cool thing the the minimalization of uh of a multiple exposure photos i think is is crucially important because you do get into that sort of where what is the story you're trying to tell with an image when you have four exposures on on a scene right like when you if you but if you base your multiple exposures down to like what i do is typically two exposures you can tell a story within a story or that experimental sort of uh, uh, description that you're trying to make is a lot easier than if you have four or five things. It's just a little bit, I agree with you. It's, it's just a little bit too much. Yeah. And it's just so crazy how far technology has come in that way as well, because when I first started photography, like 11 years ago, it really hasn't even been 
that long in the grand scheme of things. But um, that was like something that I was like, oh, I wish you could do that. Ha ha ha. Yeah. When I did double exposures before, like I even thought it was fascinating that you could do it in Photoshop because that was something that was very new to me. And Photoshop was pretty new at the time. Like mm-hmm. it really wasn't, it was pretty advanced when I first started using it. But um, when I first started photography, it really wasn't too insane yet. Um, but I thought it was crazy to do multiple exposures in there because when I was learning in the dark room, it was all on paper and it was you were doing an exposure of one negative at a time and I would fail and fail and fail and fail and then one day I like figured it out and I was like oh it's all about like piecing things together and it's all about really finding what corners and what um subjects and what leading lines work together and aren't going to clash you know Mm -hmm. um so I like clashing in art as well but um, I guess from like a formal perspective, that was a really fascinating discovery for me. Um, and I kind of want to go back to that as well, because I, I think the darkroom has certain qualities um, that we neglect sometimes, um, like the ability to truly print something at the quality that it's supposed to be without enlarging or manipulating or whatever, because you're just printing light, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not printing the negative or the file or whatever you're printing the light that's going through the negative. Mm -hmm. So I love that simplicity. Oh yeah, totally. For sure. Um, I'm super curious if like, as your sort of career has unfolded over the last 11 years, do you have like a, a dream project, a dream location, like a, just like, like a bucket list of, of photography things that you want to work on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some big ones and some small ones. Um, I think eventually I want to have some sort of book or book slash like gallery show of like many locations around the world that have um some sort of subject tied together um like one of the ideas i had was kind of this endless project that there's literally no way i could do before i die but just like photographing every island i could get to in the world um and just having this collection of like island photographs um because i've always been fascinated about like how you know people have this like notion of what island life is but every single island i've ever been to is distinctly different and has such a unique culture and cuisine and way of life so i've been very fascinated by that and i think you could say the same about like every state in the united states and every country in europe and whatnot but i just love that idea of like maybe a pretty simple overarching concept to just start on right Mm -hmm. and to not really worry too much about the deep details of like i'm gonna make a collection of photographs of dudes with red hats you know it's like you know you could go that route of like that specific or you could really just find something to inspire you and so i've been trying to like kind of lean back a little bit um because especially in college and um when there was that pressure of making something that really was conceptually driven and all that kind of stuff. Um, I felt like I was being a little bit too deliberate to the point where I wasn't enjoying it as much Mm -hmm. and honestly wasn't creating images that I liked as much. Um, I really like to 
just kind of like choose a broad subject and a location and some equipment and just go try it out, you know? Um, and also I love that mystery factor of like, you don't really know what you're getting into until you're into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I, uh, my, my biggest struggle I think has been in, has been trying to figure out like what my photographic voice is, right? Like what is my style? What is my storytelling? Like what are the things that I'm trying to say with my work? Um, I'm wondering what that process has been like for you in terms of developing your own unique voice and style in, uh, in this art space. That's a great question. I think, um, it's been a couple different things. I do really like to connect with people and find people to travel with and, um, share these experiences and, um, knowledge with, and then hopefully receive knowledge in return. But, um, I also have been wondering, um, and I've done a little bit of it, like I've done some work with like volunteer organizations and stuff, but what I can do to um, use my work to um, create messages uh, that are helping the environment. Um, I think especially with the landscape photography work, one of the things that um, I was struggling with for a while and kind of ended up coming to a conclusion with um, was that I, I wasn't really sure what the work meant. I wasn't really sure why I was doing it. Um, and one day I kind of realized that the reason I was doing it was not only to find peace within myself, but also create images that hopefully give peace to others. And through that, I realized that maybe just maybe, and I don't know for sure that people look at the images and if they like it and they find peace within it, that it'll make them value the natural environment a little bit more and then be able to kind of navigate in their own head what they want to do about it. You know what I mean? Miles, that's an incredibly beautiful sentiment. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, it took a long time to think through that. It's been I mean, a lot of It took like, a long headaches. time. You're an incredibly young human being to have like <laughs> a pretty <laughs> thoughtful and like, that's like a wonderful that is an articulation of one's work that I think is rare, right? Like a lot of people are like, Hey, I want to shoot naked people because I want to shoot naked people. Right. People are like, I want to shoot street photography because like, I just want to be a famous street photographer. I don't think I've ever heard someone say that they want to have a mindful conversation about their work, making people feel good about their work and then hope that it inspires people to give a shit about the environment. That's fucking, that's amazing, dude. That was beautiful. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Um, I think you could actually kind of say a similar thing about street photography as well, especially if you're including people within the shots, because I think a lot of these people, I've been in in some scenarios um, where I've seen some real beauty of, uh, like, even if it's somebody who didn't know their photograph was being taken and then saw the photograph of them, a beautiful, beautiful fine art photograph in the gallery and got to talk to the artist um, about this photograph that was taken of them on the street. And maybe they're just some business person that does a nine to five and is, you know, not satisfied with everything. and feels like their story isn't being told. And then all of a sudden their story is being told. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important. And I think people don't talk about it enough. Like this isn't just daily life. You know, this is people living. This is people like going through the ropes of what 
they either love to do or what they have to do. Oh yeah. I mean, you're preaching to the choir in that regard. I, if I could make a soul living on just walking around every single day, making photographs in New York city, my life purpose would be, you know, completely checked off. Right. Like that, that is, yeah, that's the dream. Right. I, I mean, I was thinking about it yesterday. So like I'm at this point now where it's like so bizarre that I have bad days in my life with, with regards to my job. Right. So like I've done some photo jobs lately where I'm like, Oh, like, you know, engagement photos. Um, you know, I, I did someone's birthday party. So like where like, these are jobs that like, I'm, I, I, after the fact, I'm like, oh, I didn't want to do that, right? But then, like, you know, I got to pay for rent. Like, I'm making a living doing the thing I love most in the world. And yesterday, I shot a bunch of guys. We made some really great pictures. When I pulled them into Lightroom after, I'm, like, really, really satisfied with how those images look. I got to walk around the city for a couple extra hours making street photos. It was, like, the perfect day in my life. And, I like, when I think about any days where I have – like that negative connotation with the thing that I love most in the world. I like just scratch my head. Like, what the fuck are you complaining about? Like you're literally getting to live your dream. And I think often we get into this space of comparing our successes to other people's successes. And it's like a negative feedback loop that is even at this early stage of my career is hard to break sometimes. Yeah, I can understand that and relate to that as well. I think it's, it's time, right? And like, it's hard sometimes to have confidence when you're very new to the game and like um, don't have the resources or knowledge to really know how to pursue it business wise. And that was something that I struggled with a lot of years and still struggle with as well, where I'm like, you know, I, I have this great thing going, I think, but like also, um, have been struggling for a long time of like how does landscape photography meet business and then also these um external passions and um causes that i want to highlight as well where do they all come together and i think it's something i'm figuring out um and i see you figuring out and a lot of our mutual friends figuring out as well but it is a process man and there's not really like a rule book and it's going to be extremely different for every individual artist and every collective, you know? Yeah. I, it's funny because like I, I am on the cusp of a lot of like big things like coming to fruition, like things that I've put years into the making. And my hope for myself is that like when these goals are like succeeded, right. When I like meet the point of where something that I hoped for two years ago comes to fruition, that I take a moment to appreciate what went into those moments because a lot of times in life, whether it is college, whether it is jobs, whether it is relationships, we're extremely mindful of that short term like thing that we're looking for. And once we achieve that moment, achieve that level of success, it's, it's already on to the next thing. And for me, when I reach these milestones that I've put, you know, almost two years of work into, I want to try to be incredibly mindful about all of what went into the process of getting me to this position, all the trials and tribulations, successes and failures that have landed me in this spot. And it is like my hope that, and it's, it's part of the, one of the reasons why I do this podcast. I think we are so 
so hyper focused on the future as a species that we very seldom take any opportunities to appreciate where we're currently at. And I think that my, my sincerest hope for myself and my friends in the future is that when we get to these momentous occasions in our careers and our lives that we like, you know, quote unquote, stop and smell the roses while we're actually in the moment and not look back like, Oh fuck. I'd like miss an opportunity to be really appreciative of, of what I achieved in that moment. I'm going to be honest, man. That's something that a lot of my close um, family and friends tell me pretty often is to smell the roses more. And um, it's, I'm so bad at it, man. Just like, just like you were saying, uh, it's always about the next thing. And I do that with art too. It's like, oh, this just came out today. Time to work on the next thing. And it's like, how, you know, how, can you expect an audience to channel that same energy as you if you're not being communicative, right? Like totally. if you really savor that, maybe they'll savor it a little bit more. And I don't know for sure. Like it's always different, but um, yeah, it's, it's really tough. I think in a spot. Yeah. I think one of the, the great lessons that I've learned over just not even my entire life, but the last two years is that, the important things in life are very seldom the things that we think about a lot, right? It's like our health and our overall happiness and those health and happiness of our friends and our family and our loved ones. And we take those things for granted a lot. Very often we are just assuming that everything's going to go along as it's supposed to be. And then when life starts handing you lemons, you start realizing that the thing that you took for granted the most that was the most important thing is maybe not the thing that you spent the most amount of time being appreciative for. And, you know, as, as shitty as the last two years have been at times and as wonderful as the last two years have been at times, I am nothing but appreciative of this journey and, and where I've landed and the people that I've had the blessings to meet along the way. It's been, it's been incredible. That's awesome to hear, man. Um, I feel the same way. It's been, you know, there's been some struggles and whatnot, but overall, really, really amazing experience. And um, I think that is a really important attitude to have, right? Like, it's going to make more good fortune come your way and the people around you as well. Um, And I think having confidence in what you do is really important as well and confidence in, in sharing that you are passionate about something like um i was thinking about that the other day because i had talked to some artists that weren't as confident about their work and i was kind of like well i don't even know if i want to look at it because you just didn't really make it seem that great and maybe it is but like um i'm not saying that people should be cocky but um you know thorough and confident in presenting your work in a way where you're proud of it, right? Like you should be proud of being alive. And Mm -hmm. especially as photographers, we're documenting our daily lives. And something that I always think about is like, it's this, while you might edit it for hours, you might spend years uh, presenting it in different formats, whatever. It is this instantaneous moment that happened at a very instantaneous time in history. And every single photograph you've ever taken should be looked at that way, whether you like it or not. Like I took this photograph, um, May 21st, 2017. And even if I don't like it, you know, that might have importance to somebody one day. Like what if your work really, really blows up and is published in a lot of formats. And then somebody finds out that you have this 
eight and a half by 11 print, like untrimmed, whatever, uncropped, unedited, just like sitting around in somebody's attic and then they come across it and recognize it from like some body of work that could really have some importance. I think oh, yeah. um, nothing should be understated in your Dude, career a, as a creative. At a minimum, you need to be your own biggest cheerleader, right? Like if you don't have the belief that the stuff you're creating matters, no one else is going to believe it, right? So if you can't look at something that you've made and think this is good, and you can be hard on yourself and think, well, this composition is bad or this this exposure level is wrong. Like you can be your own worst enemy from a critique perspective. But if you don't believe in the thing you're doing, it's going to be very hard for you to be successful and grow as an artist if you don't have that sort of, you know, ability to look at yourself. I agree. And something that I've realized pretty recently and I'm trying to um, work on every day is that a lot of what gave me the confidence when I was first starting out was the encouragement from other people that liked my work and cared about me as a person in real life and in the digital space. And that's something that I want to like as much as I can. And it's exhausting, but like kind of spread towards other people as well. Um, because I know it's hard, right. To have confidence in yourself. If it doesn't seem like anybody else it does. And, you know, like maybe not a lot of people like your post, nobody bought your print, nobody bought your book, whatever. But like something that I made a mistake of early on in my career was like bailing on a couple projects because I had lost confidence in them. Right. And mm -hmm. like, that's something that I never want to do again. Um, maybe you want to fine tune it. Maybe you want to drop it and re-release it. Maybe you want to, um, anything right like the the editing process and post editing process can be limitless but i'm never against that but i'm um officially against like giving up now yeah right like maybe you give up like a couple images in to a project and not like actually give up but like change it i don't think there's anything wrong with changing your idea i think that's natural and should happen and you should follow the flow of what your creative mind wants, but I don't think you should ever give up on creating because you're not getting like enough support or enough push or whatever, because a lot of it is time, luck and connection, right? Like you just haven't had the right something come into your, your circle. Amen, man. I couldn't possibly agree with anything more. It's funny because I, uh, I dropped my first NFT collection a couple months ago, didn't sell anything. It was 21 images. I have since burned the collection down to 12 images and thusly increased the price by 2x, right? So when I was looking at the fact that I wasn't selling this stuff, I started to think that my work was bad instead of starting to realize that I was undervaluing the things that I've created. And I was like, I don't give a fuck if anybody buys this stuff. And I don't care if no one picks up any of these pieces. I'm going to put the value on my work as I see it, right? If I don't believe it's worth something, how is anyone else going to believe it's worth something either? And a lot of that process was because I started making another collection and I'm, I'm in the process now of building out a second collection of NFTs um, about my trip across the country in 2020. And I didn't know whether I could make another collection if I hadn't sold anything from my first collection. And like those sort of doubts on whether you can do something if you haven't succeeded with the first thing you did is dumb. 
right? Like there's no reason why you can't continue to put out work and build and grow and make more if something that you did previously hasn't sold yet. Like that's not how it works as an artist, right? So for a long time, I was doubting my ability to make more work online and mint more stuff on the blockchain because I was like, well, I didn't sell the first bit of stuff. And and I think what you just said is important because you need to start being able to look at your stuff and think, well, it's okay if it hasn't found its home yet, it will eventually find the place that it's meant to be. Absolutely. And um, I like that you said that because I think, especially with one-of-one work, both in the physical and digital sphere, it works a lot differently than like these super hyped up collections that have like thousands of people in the discords um, communicating and following it before it's released and stuff like like you said, like you might drop a project and I did the same thing in like first couple of days, you see no sales, maybe you don't see traction, whatever. But um, people might be thinking about investing in it. Um, people might be watching, maybe they haven't seen it yet. You don't really know. It's just, and it's also like as one person, it's a lot harder to advertise that and it takes a little bit more time. But I think it truly does have more value yeah. than these million piece collections, you know? I agree. Um, and, I like I want to experiment. Little... I want to experiment in the place. I want to I want to do edition prints. I want to build out further collections of one of ones. Like I, there's just so much I want to do and I was like waiting for permission to do it based on what my other stuff did. And I'm like, why the fuck does that matter? I was like, just make the stuff you want to make. Create the art you want to create. Be the artist that you want to be and live that way. Like you don't need someone else's permission to do something, especially not in web3. Right, I don't need someone from OpenSea to be like, okay, John, time you can do another collection now. Right, it's just funny because I I was so hyper focused on the failure or perceived failure of my first collection that it was inhibiting my ability from looking forward to seeing what else I wanted to make. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and there's limitations, right? It takes time, yeah, and it takes thought, and sometimes it takes money. Ethereum, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you just got to keep pushing, man. And like, um, I think the same thing sometimes, but every once in a while, I'll like get a message from somebody that'll be like, yo, this is a really crazy picture and I wish I could afford it. And I've gotten that a couple of times now where I'm like, whoa, like what I thought was priced pretty low is out of reach for some people. And it doesn't mean I'm going to lower my prices. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for prints. Like I, I have to ask for a certain thing um, in order to be able to keep creating work, yeah. right? It's an expensive art and that's just the truth of it. However, um, it is interesting to hear, right? And it makes you, it honestly gave me some confidence in a weird way. Cause it was like, okay, like I know the money is out there and this person that I trust likes the work a lot. Maybe somebody else will. And maybe I just need to keep pushing until I find it. But Even more than like networking, I'm like with you. It's just like, I just love creating and I love putting stuff out there and I just want to keep doing that. Yeah. I used to think it was a matter of maybe and when, and I don't think that way anymore because I I genuinely believe in myself and my friends in the space. And I, it's just, it's not a maybe it is just ultimately when it transpires, when that ball starts rolling, when the sales start coming through, when the community building all pays off. I just am sure of myself and the people that I'm associating with in this space that 
like I said, we're all bound to be successful here because it's so early on. We're just barely touching the foundation of what this space is going to look like. And that's what makes it incredibly exciting and also like trying time because there's a ton of success and a ton of failure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you just said was important too um, in terms of it's just a matter of time because because it's so new, it is about longevity, right? And like, let's say, I don't know for sure when like NFT photography first began, but prints have been around for a super long time, hundreds of years in many different forms and photographically for less time than yet that. But uh, nonetheless, um, you know, are, are becoming decently old at this point. And the way that the two markets have a potential to meet is where I'm really fascinated and was something that I saw a lot of videos about when I was researching the NFT marketplace uh, about a year ago, actually, way before I bought in or had crypto or any of this stuff. Um, and a lot of these OG business people were like, this is where business is really going to pop off. And this is where NFTs become important is when they become attached to physical items. And when you buy an NFT of like an expensive watch or something that physically exists in real life, and then you also have that same item on the blockchain, and then you sell them together. And it's like, it becomes this double valued, insane, insane thing. Like that physical watch now, uh, instead of it's like original growth rate of like, 5% per year um, could now grow at the same rate as the item on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. um, so now you're dual investing and it's really, really insane to see that. So I'm really fascinated with the idea of like, when are the physical prints or negatives um, like in your case, um, the, when are they going to become attached in a way that's very formalized and very legitimized and very um doable along many platforms and in, in mainstream right yeah. like i think that's it's a part of the reason why i did include it in my first collection was you know we inherently practice art in a physical space right like we're not creating digital work on you know the metaverse right we're going out in real life we're flying our drones we're f you know shooting our film and we're creating in real life and when i was going about creating my collection i wanted that tangible uh tie-in to both the physical and the digital space um there are practical thoughts that i haven't really necessarily addressed in like okay if miles phillips buys one of my first nft collections i know you right i can mail you that the <laughs> the negative because i know you but there are inherently people out there that may not want to you know close that in-person real loop and get access to the physical aspect that is uh, attached to it so i do think that there will be that ability in like the next iteration of web3 like how there is that physical and digital um combination which i'm excited for i think i think that's going to be very cool also yeah absolutely and and from like a very simple aspect i kind of think about it in the way that like, okay, so when I think about like a PFP that I think is just like some goofy thing that I don't think is quality art in my personal opinion mm -hmm. that happens to blow up and go like 50,000 X and somebody sells it or a bunch of people sell it for a ton of uh, ETH or whatever. Um, that's like, getting a toy in a mcdonald's happy Meal, 
right? Mm -hmm. Like it's something that's kind of dumb, but people do collect those and over time they do gain value and people sell them for stupid amounts of money. But is that ever going to socially have the same value as like an original Van Gogh? I don't think so. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, totally. And, and I think that's what makes both like some of those projects enticing and also infuriating because it's like, it's really just hit or miss, right? It's like, who are the people who are involved in these things that can then like pump them to the moon or not? And if you're a lot of times when I look at a lot of these PFP collections, if you're not part of like the initial minting process, like with on, on the whitelist, right? Like you're one of the first couple thousands who get in on something like that. It is super hard to be early and, it's not impossible, right? Like, I, listen, I, I love my sunnies, right? Are they going to go to five ETH each? Probably not, right? Is it possible? Absolutely, right? But I've also bought some, like, random shit that are, like, $12 because I was like, well, I like the artwork. I think they're cool. It's not – it doesn't matter to me if it goes to five ETH, right? So I think that, like, the as the space grows and changes over time, it's also why you're seeing so much money flood into the NFT photography side of things because there is being there is finally being given in uh, a, a key on these one of one pieces, which I think is very exciting. I also do like the idea of additions on the blockchain from a photography perspective because like when you do prints in real life, you very seldom do one of one. Like when you do do one of ones, like maybe it's like a 60 by 40 or a, you know, a 30 by 40 massive print, but like if you do an addition, you're going to do a 16 by 20, you're going to do 25 of them, right? And you could do 25 editions of the same print once a year for 5 years. Like there's no like sort of indication that you can only do it one way like that and i think that's that's what's cool about how the nft space is unfolding like i have all intents and purposes next week when i get a little bit of extra cash in from some jobs that i've done to uh pick up some additions of some photographers that are in the space because it's a it's a price point that i can swallow and it's not you know like six hundred dollars for an nft that it's hard for me to spend six hundred dollars on one thing right like i can spend a hundred bucks on an addition and and feel happy that i'm supporting the artists and i'm like one of their like you know it's almost like a patreon thing right like i'm helping them create more and and build more but i don't have the financial means to go spend a thousand dollars on one of their like real one-of-one nfts I think you made some fantastic points in there. Um, I, I have the same mentality. Um, and I don't know if I've told you, but I actually have um, one of I have a one of one from our each of our friends, uh, Tyler and um, Trevor. Oh, sweet. Um, so, yeah, I, I got a one of one from each of them. And at first I was kind of like, you know, like, I, I wasn't really as confident in the space. It wasn't them. I knew them as artists, but I, I mainly bought in because I was like, these are artists that I love and support and want to see grow. And I know they're really, really to the moon with their work ethic and they're really going at it. And that was, I, I bought a piece from Tyler's Genesis and um, I bought a piece from Trevor's Genesis and both of them have grown tenfold since then. Wow. And so it's like, am I going to sell it right now? No, I'm not. Um, and I wasn't even thinking about that, like in, in the same way that you would like flip um, a PFP or something. But like, I actually have full 10,000% confidence that those pieces are going to be worth a lot of money one day. Because when I bought that piece from Tyler, he had 3,000 followers on Twitter. He now has over 10,000. 
Trevor, when I bought that piece, it was like one of maybe like 10 pieces from, I want to say is like 20 plus collection um, that it sold. So like he made a good amount of sales, but like still on his Genesis, um, he's had a trending um, collection. His second collection was trending on OpenSea like just a couple weeks ago and is almost sold out already. So I'm like, in terms of these things, I'm, I'm like, I really, really want, if I can, to buy pieces from all these people that I know, if the space hypothetically blows up as a whole, we already know, you and I both know exactly who are going to be the pioneers of that space, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. So um, while I haven't collected any of my friends' digital works yet, I have bought a print from you. I bought a print from Tyler and I bought uh, Trevor Zine. Um, Because again, like my biggest struggle with the space right now is just simply that like, my ability to display the stuff that I have is not there yet, right? Like, so someone hasn't created a digital picture frame that is tied into the blockchain that allows me to exhibit my, either my PFPs or my NFTs or whatever that I collect. So like, I want to support my friends the best way I know how. And I did that by buying prints and zines. And I think that, um, you know, as I'm more successful in, you know, the physical space like work and making money i want to now start buying into to a lot more nfts of my friends um because i just think it's it's an exciting time to be in the space and and like it's cool uh to help your friends and what's nice is like when you said about being able to see who are going to be the pioneers and be who is successful what it really to me boils down to are individuals ability to build community around art right and i think that when you look at someone like tyler Everywhere he goes, he's had an ability to create community. And similarly with you, your growth in the space in the last couple months has been just wonderful to see as your friend because you genuinely care about the people that you're sharing their work, about the community that you're building, and like trying, like the, like I said earlier, rising tide lifts all all ships, sees whatever the fucking thing is. I can't remember it, but it's like you want to see people be successful, and those are the people that will be um, successful in the space. Um, when you were on the podcast for the first time, I, I believe I asked you probably what you were like most proud of for yourself and your work and your space. Um, I'm going to answer that for you because I'm extremely proud to see like who you've sort of become just in the space in a very short period of time. And the community that you've been able to build um, has been super inspiring for me as your friend. Thanks so much, John. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It's been a really, really fun journey. And uh, like I said before, that's the most important aspect for me is to just like truly enjoy it. Um, and I've met some some really great friends in that space. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's really cool to see the community aspect grow. And uh, I haven't done it in a couple of weeks, but tomorrow I will be resuming the uh, photography open discussion space um, Sunday evenings at like, I, I usually do it at like 7 p.m., 6 p.m., sometimes earlier, sometimes later, like Sunday vibes, you know, just like super slow paced. I just like, like we are now, like I just throw in my earbuds and I like walk about and do my normal Sunday activities and make like 12 cups of coffee and just <laughs> edit photos. And like, it, it's the best dude. Like I've never, I never thought that I would have so many friends to talk about photography on, you yeah. know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many, so many people we can just talk to about photography now. And like, I've, 
never had that before. And even in college, it was like we had critique spaces when we had released projects and work and that kind of stuff. But it was always so like formal gallery setting and so like serious and like notepad and whatever. And like, I take notes here and there, don't get me wrong, but like hopping in a space on Twitter and like shooting the shit about life and photography with people from all different walks of life and to actually be able to like hear people's voices and like also to be able to like sit in your own space and yet communicate with like 50 plus people you know it's just nuts like it's so unheard of it's it's a really great time to be in a really uh you know unique uh, moment sort of like in the digital space and digital history where you know your best friends could be someone who's sitting in Denver sitting in London sitting wherever and you're all talking about the things that make you happy um, and at the end of the day we all want to see everyone be successful um, and uh, I'm happy to say that like I've, I've met a lot of amazing people and grown tremendous friendships um, from a space and I still haven't met a lot of these people in real life like I'm, I'm hopeful that like NFT NYC I'll meet a bunch of people and like all these cool things that are happening um, over the next year or so it, it's just like a really fun time um, and uh, yeah obviously this is the second time you've been on the pod They'll, we'll do this again for sure um, I'm just incredibly appreciative of your time and, and super thankful that you've uh, given me more uh, than I could ever ask for uh, and, and being on the podcast again and dude I just you're a good friend love you buddy and thanks so much for coming on dude likewise love you as well and thanks so much for having me it's been absolutely fantastic um always cool to have conversations with you because i feel like um while we're in very different places we have a lot of mutuals at this point and we also have a lot of mutual interests and um sort of fascinations and views on life so it's cool to kind of see that grow and i feel like this conversation has been very different from last year's as well yeah it's amazing what a year can do (laughs) (laughs) yeah no joke especially during these times all right buddy thanks so much Yeah. Take care.